Welcome to Teen Wealth Radio, a show just for teens, their parents, and educators to come together and discuss the issues that are affecting our youth today. Your host is Brandy England. Brandy is joined each week by amazing guests, as well as a regular panel of co-hosts who are here to give you ideas and encouragement every step of the way. We also have plenty of other surprises on today's show. So let's get started. Here's your host, Brandy England. Wealth Radio. I am very excited about today's show. Um, I mean, I'm always excited about our show. I really love what we do and the guests that we bring on and my co-host, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. How are you doing, babe? Hey, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I know this is going to be a show that both of us are going to really enjoy being on because our guest is an amazing gentleman. His name is Joel. And Joel um, is in the film industry like you and I are. I'm an agent. You're an actor. He's uh, assistant director within the Directors Guild of Canada. And he's the very first self-identifying autistic uh, assistant director as well. Um And I'm just, I'm really excited to hear his story. And I know you and I are going to have some great questions and he's told us a little bit about what he's passionate about, but Joel, I'd love to welcome you to the show and have you tell everyone a little bit about your life and what you're passionate about. Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, As you already started, uh, as you already said, I'm the first self-identifying autistic member of the Directors Guild of Canada. Uh, and I'm the first self-identifying autistic assistant director to my knowledge in North America. That's not completely confirmed. Um, but of course, I will say the word self-identifying because there actually are quite a few uh, autistic members of the Directors Guild of Canada, as well as likely down in the DGA. Um, the thing is, due to stigmas and due to a lot of judgment and uh, ignorance, people are scared to publicly identify as being autistic or uh, having a neurodivergent mind. Um, So to quickly just go over uh, my background, where I come from, uh, how I got to where I am. Um, I was raised in a single mother home. Uh, I was diagnosed with autism at the age of five. Um, my mother was extremely religious. Um, she had my room exercised when I first got diagnosed because she thought it might be demons. Uh, it was fun. Um, growing up, the, the good thing about being in Canada is we do have uh, universal health care. Uh, so I got diagnosed fairly young. Um, I went into foster care at the age of 12 because my mom couldn't handle my autism. Uh, I went through three foster homes, aged out of foster care, was on the streets briefly for about half a week to a week, um, reconnected with my biological father who's schizophrenic. Um, So lots of neurodiversity in my household and in my family history. Um, And then I spent a couple years in church leadership because when you go through foster care and you have siblings who die of overdoses and drugs and guns and all the fun stuff that comes with poverty and um, people who come from broken pasts, um, religion is often something that helps people through that issue. Um, And then I had always wanted to be a filmmaker from when I was a child, but growing up, I was always told that was impossible, especially as an autistic person. People were trying to set realist, 
realistic expectations for me. Um, in other words, ignorant expectations for me. <laughs> um, and I finally took the leap and went to Vancouver Film School in 2013, 2014. Uh, went through the Entertainment Business Management Program, which was their prestigious producing program at the time. I graduated and went into the film industry as a production assistant. Again, a lot of people um, did not believe in me, unfortunately, especially in my family. I had a lot more support from the film school than I did my own family and my some of my childhood friends. Uh, and then I worked my way up from production assistant to assistant director. So, yeah. Wow, that's an amazing story. There's so much in there to, to really talk about. Um, but I would really love to sort of expand on this idea of, you know, identifying publicly. Um, was there a time where you didn't identify with autism publicly? So I am both blessed and cursed with the fact that when I got diagnosed, um, my mom really made my autism about her. And so she felt uh, that, oh, poor her, she had an autistic child, oh, look at her disabled son. So she was very vocal and I really didn't have an opportunity to hide it because every time I went into school, she was like, oh, my kid's autistic, poor kid. Everywhere I went, she told everybody I was the poor little autistic kid. And then when I went into foster care, it was because she couldn't handle my autism. So my mom really set me up with a life where I didn't get to hide who I was. Now, I wasn't out publicly because I wanted to be as a kid. I was out publicly because my mom made me out publicly. Um, but I was never able to hide who I was, which is sort of a blessing and it's also a curse. Um, because as I've gotten into the film industry, there's a lot of judgment and a lot of ignorance around neurodiversity and neurodivergent mindsets. And a lot of people are terrified to self-identify and I just naturally do. And people are like, oh, you're so brave. You're so strong. You're so, I'm like, well, I've never had the luxury of hiding it. Um, and I wouldn't want to hide it now. And perhaps that's because I've never had that opportunity. So I've just had to be strong by like, not by choice, but I just had to. Um, and when you have to be strong all your life and you have to fight for who you are and you go through foster care and you go through poverty and you go through people dying of overdoses and drugs and guns and all that fun, um, you just don't have a choice but to stand up and move forward and keep progressing and keep progressing and keep progressing. Um, and I guess that's sort of a mindset when you talk about nature versus nurture. Um, as an autistic person, if you succeed in life, you have to have that mindset. So even if the, even the people who hide who they are, they still have to have that mindset because they, they have to succeed and 84% of autistic people are unemployed. So that 16% that aren't are either A, they're higher functioning than some of the lower functioning ones, if you wanna call that functioning. Uh, we all know that the spectrum is very, uh, diverse when it comes to autism and uh, some are like super geniuses others are nonverbal, but they're still very intelligent but the fact of the matter is that 16 percent that are working gamefully um, they have to have strength and they have to be fighters and they have to be able to t get knocked down and get back up um, because they don't really have the luxury 
of not getting back up. Mm. So yeah, I'm sorry, Brandy, did you want to say something? <laughs> no? I, I'm, uh, I'm, love, I'm just loving this so much. I just, you're so passionate. I know everyone's listening out there on the radio and you can't see Joel's face, but when he talks, you can feel the like you can feel it, yes, in his voice probably, but you can see it in his face. You, you, um, you can clearly tell that you've overcome a lot in your life, and you are so passionate. And all you want to do is pay it forward. And all I want to do is buy you dinner and and hear your whole story because <laughs> I know in an hour we won't get uh, everything about you. I just I just want to say I really appreciate that you've taken the time to spend with us because uh, you really you do you you lose passion, and that's an exciting thing. <laughs> so thank, thank you. you. Appreciate it. Hmm, 100%. So why is it so important for people to to know about um, autism and where you are on the spectrum and things like that? Why, why is it important to self-identify? So I want to immediately go all-encompassing and say neurodivergent mind, not necessarily autism. Um, I think if you have a mood disorder, if you have an anxiety disorder, if you have schizophrenia, if you have Tourette's, if you have autism, uh, it's it's People think it's easier to hide who they are, um, but it isn't. Um, it isn't because as judgmental as people are towards me and as ignorant and intolerant as people are towards autistic people. And I, I want to also say that it's not necessarily ignorance. It's also the fact that our brains work differently. And so something that's logical to me seems completely psychotic to a neurotypical person, whereas and from an atypical perspective, they're doing something logical. Um, and that is something that has to stop, but that only stops by growing understanding. And people will only take the time to learn and understand if they know they are autistic and bipolar and schizophrenic people that they're interacting with. And so uh, I'll sort of say when I went into the director's guild and I was like, oh, are there any other autistic members? I got a resounding no. Um, they didn't know of any in Canada. Um, and it only took me like a year before several had started coming up to me and being like, oh, you're so brave self-identifying. I don't tell anyone. And I'm like, well, actually, there's plenty of them, <laughs> um, but they're terrified. And um, the thing is, a lot of them face a lot of difficulties they face the same difficulties I do the only difference is people don't understand at all the difficulties they face a because they're an invisible minority so people don't recognize their uh, neurodivergent mindset uh, and I use the word disability I, I apologize even I use that from time to time it's not an appropriate word they don't understand the neurodivergent mindset because it's not visible um when it something's visible, people recognize it immediately, but when it isn't, they don't. Um, and so I want to say, so I'll give you an example, and I want to be very careful with this, but there was an autistic person in town who got in a conversation about a casting, a recasting of a character that was done to diversify uh, that role. And the actor was, sorry, and the individual was talking from a logical perspective that the sales might be impacted by the changing of that role. He was thinking from a logical perspective. However, people who overheard that conversation um, took it from an emotional perspective because, of course, you're talking about a diverse role being recast, sorry, uh, a role being recast for a diverse uh, actor. And Unfortunately, a lot of people 
misinterpreted his logic from an emotional perspective. Now, had they known he was autistic, and they would have actually likely been more understanding when he tried to explain himself. And he was like, oh, I'm not. And he got into this defensive position and just ended up destroying himself. And people around him immediately started jumping to conclusions. He ended up getting in tons of fights and he contacted me for help. And he was like, help me. And I'm like, you touched a subject that you don't want to touch even logically. I'm like, there's way too much room. You don't touch uh, that subject. Um, but the fact of the matter is he doesn't self-identify. And so there's situations where he's going to come at something from a logical perspective and a neurotypical or a non-atypical is going to come to it from an emotional perspective. And that difference between emotion-based logic and logic-based emotions, um, there's a lot of room for misinterpretation. Whereas me, I'm very public about being autistic. And when a miscommunication occurs and they happen all the bloody time because I'm autistic and miscommunications occur, um, people in general are more understanding that a miscommunication occurred and that I didn't mean malintent because they know I'm autistic. And they're going to be more open to having a dialogue and a conversation and being like, hey, you know what? Like, I know that there's a chance that this was a misunderstanding. Um, your brain works differently than ours. Let's, let's, let's talk this out. Whereas if somebody thinks you're neurotypical and they're neurotypical or somebody's not, not autistic and you're autistic, um, but they think that you're not autistic, they're going to come at it as no misunderstanding occurred, no miscommunication occurred because you're just like them and think just like them. And that immediately leads to a lot more miscommunication than if you're upfront and honest. And I think, and I wanna get back to being neurodivergent, not just autistic. I have friends who are bipolar and some of them have chosen to publicly identify as bipolar and that makes their life a lot easier um, whereas there's a lot of people who don't identify and that can be problematic but it it like one she rumors went around that she was a coke addict um, and she would spiral and she would have a period of unwell if you know anything about bipolar they go up and down up and down and it's outside of their control but rumors started that she was a coke addict and there was all kinds of problems and people thought drug addiction and she never publicly self-identified and it made her life a lot harder um, because um, hypersexuality and mood swings that go on that type of like from mania to spiral to mania people thought drugs and she unfortunately faced a lot of judgment. Um, and then there was a male who did self-identify as bipolar publicly. Um, and one day we were on set and he was like, hey, you know what? My medication is not working. It's not evening me out. I'm spiraling. I need to go home. Mm -hmm. And the ALM was like, yeah, no, you need to stay. He was a PA. And he was like, look, I'm not well. I need to go home. And the ALM was like, no, you need to stay. And he was increasingly spiraling out of control. And he was like, my medication isn't working. I need to go, I need to go, I need to go. 
And they kept him working and kept him working and kept him working to the point he punched out the van driver and the police got called and the whole situation became violent and dangerous for everybody. And unfortunately, I don't think he works anymore. I, I don't know. I haven't seen him in years. But that situation was one where, like, if more people were public and there was more understanding, there is a good chance that they would have been that the ALM would have said, hey, you know what? You're spiraling. Your medication's not working. This is actually a very valid medical reason to send you home. And he probably would still be working today and it wouldn't have damaged his career because he wouldn't have punched out the van driver. There wouldn't have been a violent escalation. Uh, he would have gone home, he would have cried, he would have had his spiral, um, and a couple days later, or however long his cycle lasts, he probably would have been back to being good and back to working. Uh, and that's really where it comes down to, by self-identifying, you let people know you're there. And people will take time to learn when they know that you're there, when you're no longer invisible. Uh, so I'll give you another example, and I want to be careful because I'm on it was a while back, but I still don't want to violate non-disclosure agreements. Uh, but I was on a big superhero show and I was very public about being autistic. And very quickly, some of my cast members, as well as one of my AADs, assistant directors, uh, they actually went and watched videos on autism and they were bragging about it to me, essentially, that they, they were understanding things that I was doing. And A, that made me feel really appreciated in the fact that people were taking the time to actually learn about it. But the fact is, there are other autistic people that work with that show. And there are autistic people who work on other shows around who don't self-identify. Um, whereas people who are taking the time to learn about autism because I self-identify. Now, the more visible you make neurodivergent-minded mind, people, the more people are going to take the time to understand us. Now, I'm not saying take the time to give us lenience or take the time to change the job or to, like, skew things in our favor. But if people understand you and understand how your brain works, it makes the team, the team dynamic on a set so much better um, because people... Actually, I, I think no. you're I think you're speaking to a lot of great points here and I want to unpack all of this, but we do need yeah. to have a really quick break and we'll be right cool. back and we'll dive into this again. Yay. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real. Real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. 
Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are talking with Joel. At the moment, we're talking about all things neurodivergent and um, with specific reference to autism, but we've learned this new term, neurodivergent. And um, before we went on break, uh, we were talking a lot about how important it is to self-identify and more, further to that, how important it is to be heard on set because it's not enough to just say, you know, this is something that I deal with in my life if someone doesn't understand exactly what that entails. Um, and that's definitely obvious in the stories that you've, um, you've, you've given today. What would you want to see in the industry in order to to make it easier for um, people such as yourself to to have some comfort and to have some understanding so that situations don't escalate in a way that is is not? Well, (laughs) I just started something called the You Are Not Alone campaign, which is calling on individuals within the film industry to self-identify in order to end the stigma and the phobias around neurodiversity and having a neurodivergent mindset. Um, when I went down to Los Angeles to drum up support for you're not, You Are Not Alone to get uh, unions and guilds and studios on board, um, I was invited into the Fox writing room of a show I won't mention because, of course, I don't want to disrespect anybody's privacy. Um, but on this show, of the writers, the 12 writers, um, I believe it was seven of them were neurodivergent. Seven of 12. And they like brought me into this room and they were, we had an amazing conversation and they were like, oh, and this director is neurodivergent and this person's neurodivergent and that person's neurodivergent. Uh, And then I went to Lightstorm Entertainment, which is Jim Cameron's studio uh, that does Avatar. And I had conversations where again, more neurodivergent filmmakers were named and I found out so-and-so is neurodivergent and that person's neurodivergent. And I was like, well, why don't, why don't, why doesn't the general public know that? Why, why don't they? And they were like, oh my gosh, everybody's worried about their careers. Everybody's worried about the stigma, the phobias. Um, and even massive Hollywood producers and directors are terrified of the stigmas 
and the phobias attached to it, and they just don't want to publicly identify um, because they, they're afraid of losing things. They're afraid of being judged um, for something that's not their fault, for something they were, they were born with a different brain, um, but they're, they're scared. And some of them aren't necessarily scared. Some of them just don't, they're, they're like, we've succeeded. Why would I bring that up right now? I've, I've succeeded. Why would I put my neck out on the line? But the fact of the matter is you have massive, massive, massive people down in LA, as well as here in Canada, who are scared of self-identifying. So I created a movement to try to get people to self-identify. And right now we have a lot of PAs, we have a lot of TADs, we have a lot of um people at the bottom of the ladder who are self-identifying um, because we have a lot less to lose. But a lot of the individuals I've spoken to who are higher up, um, they're still terrified. Even though we're self-identifying on the lower end, they don't necessarily want to self-identify because of the amount of like harm it could do to them. And it's really sad that we live in a society where a big Hollywood director or a big Hollywood producer is afraid of being stigmatized. Um, and so that sort of goes over to when we were talking about the potential damage that can happen from ignorance, for example, autistic people were terrible with relationships. Um, we're really bad <laughs> with relationships um, because our brains work logically. A uh, neurotypical person's brain works illogically. So I'll give you an example. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was romantically interested with in a woman. Um, she told me that she felt harassed at one point. Um, and then my reaction was, oh my gosh, she feels harassed. She feels unsafe. I blocked her. I took all these massive actions to make her feel safe because from my, my perspective and the way my brain works, I'm like, logically, I want this woman to feel safe. Unfortunately neurotypicals brains don't work like that um and from the neurotypical brain she was like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh she's like and things just escalated and escalated and escalated and escalated and that can create massive problems um when you work in a small tight-knit industry um autism can be a huge issue because our brains are logical even with our friendships and not just in romantic but friendships um, we're going to tackle something from a logical perspective where from a non-autistic person, they're going to tackle it from an emotional perspective. So earlier I touched on emotion-based logic versus logic-based emotion. Um, an autistic person has logic-based emotions. Our emotions are dictated by logic. In a neurotypical or non-autistic person, their emotion, their, they have emotion-based logic where their logic is based on their emotions. So, for example, an autistic person will see something, I'll use religion because I was, a, I, I used to be a devout Christian, um, but there was a lot of things where logically I'm like, okay, this, 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 the logic, it just doesn't make sense. Whereas I have a lot of neurotypical friends who are just like, but I've invested so much emotionally in this. And so their emotions overpower their logic. Whereas from our perspective, our logic overpowers our emotions. And when it comes to relationships, that's especially hard because when you're tackling something from an emotion, uh, emotion base, you're going to tackle it differently than somebody who's tackling it from a logic base. And when you have those two sides, there's a lot of room for confusion, miscommunication and escalation. 
And when you look at other neurodivergent mindsets like schizophrenia or bipolar or um, manic depression, manic depression is a big one because I have a couple friends who are manically depressed. Um, they're just chronic. They, they suffer from chronic depression all the time. They're depressed. They never have any up. And people think their atten attention, um, I'm not going to use that word, it's sexist and derogatory, but people think that they just want attention and they don't take them seriously. They don't understand that that person has a chemical imbalance in their brain that makes them depressed all the time. Uh, you have other people who are like, smile, and they try to cheer them up and they're like, they're, they're, you can't, that you just can't. That's not how their brain works. And so... But unfortunately, they often don't self-identify. So I went on to one show and there was a chronically depressed PA I knew. And I was like, oh, where is she? And every and, uh, Key was like, oh, yeah, uh, she's a downer. So we stuck her out at Crew Park. And I'm like, she's at Crew Park? And they're like, yeah, she's going to be there to run of the show. And I'm like, you can't take a chronically depressed person and stick them at Crew Park. Like, you're going to kill them. Like, you very well could kill that person. Uh, and that's just where it comes down to understanding. And she's not public about being chronically depressed. And I don't think people even necessarily knew on that show. They just thought she was had a depression problem or a drug addiction or whatever they thought. But the problem is if she had self-identified and they knew that she was chronically depressed and that you can't leave her alone at Crew Park for like month, <laughs> like this is a TV series. You're talking months. You can't leave somebody who's chronically depressed at a Crew Park for months. Um, they slash their wrists sometimes. There's, there's, it can be dangerous to their health. You can't do that. Um, but the more people self-identify, the more we can change that. The more we can make it so that autistic people who have problems with their relationships can actually get help from within their community where people are like, hey, we can see this person struggling or that these people are struggling and maybe we can help them. Maybe we can create a more inclusive environment. Maybe we can help foster better friendships and relationships uh, like that chronically depressed person. If people understood how her brain works and that she's always that way and that she's never not going to be a downer, um, people would be able to accept her for who she is and she'd have more friends. And I really genuinely think she'd be better off um, in a society where people, where, if she self-identified and if people understood and took the time to be educated. Um, a lot of what you're saying is uh, definitely speaks to the, the fact that there is a lack of education and, and awareness about so many neurotypical, um, neuro neuroatypical neurodivergent um, conditions uh, but do you think that there is maybe a little bit of an up um, in in the change of that as we see a greater representation in neurodiverse characters so yeah so when I talk when I talk sorry no you go yeah <laughs> um, when I've been talking about this need for like a self-identifying campaign in Hollywood that's not to say Hollywood isn't the most progressive industry in the world now yes there's a lot of sexism there's Harvey Weinstein there's a lot of crap that happens in Hollywood that is happening everywhere let's let's face it there's sexism everywhere it's not like a unique to Hollywood thing there are Harvey Weinsteins in every industry around the world it's not a uniquely Hollywood thing Hollywood is traditionally one of the most progressive industries in the world 
And one thing that Hollywood has done extremely well recently is in pushing for diversity on screen. And that includes neurodiversity. Um, there's a show called Kiss Me First from Netflix that came out from the UK in which a bipolar character is one of the leads. Uh, there's Atypical from Netflix, which has Sam who is on the autism spectrum. And myself and Sam are pretty much identical in our diagnosis, except he has a lot more relationship luck than I do. Um, but I think that was because the writers were like, you can't just have somebody who really terrible at relationships. Uh, that's not an interesting character. So they probably made him a bit better at that. Um, you have the accountant that came from Warner Brothers with Ben Affleck. And the accountant was a very unique story because Sony Pictures was originally going to produce the accountant. And Sony looked at it and they were like, hey, you know what? We don't think there's going to be a large enough autistic audience um, to support the accountant. And so they backed out at the last minute and Warner Brothers picked it up and Warner Brothers took it to theaters. And it ended up, I think, breaking, it, it turned a massive profit at the box office. I don't want to give a number because I don't want to be wrong. Um, but it really proved that autistic people wanted to see heroes. And I remember when I saw Atypical, I really felt a lot of empathy for my female colleagues who went to see Wonder Woman. Because for me, seeing Atypical, I was like, finally, there was representation. I felt like I was re represented on screen. And I felt what I must what I feel women must have felt going to see Wonder Woman, which was finally representation. And I think Hollywood is moving rapidly forward with representation. Um, you've seen schizophrenia represented, you've seen autism represented, you're seeing bipolar represented, you're seeing a lot of neurodivergent minds represented in Hollywood films. And the irony is they're actually ahead of a lot of psych psychiatric um, systems as well because it wasn't until the early 2000s that they stopped using the word retard uh to talk about like nonverbal autistic people or nonverbal um other neurodivergent people because there was this nonverbal autistic girl down in the states and she learned how to type and she wrote a book and everybody was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she's she's not the R word, she's not the R word, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she's actually highly intelligent, she just can't talk. And when that came out, that this girl who couldn't talk and was low functioning was able to write a book and was actually super intelligent, super self-aware, she knew, she heard everything, she took everything in, she was not a dumb person. When they realized that her communication skills just meant that she couldn't talk. That, that was literally part of her difficulty with communication was she couldn't talk, but she was actually super intelligent. It changed everything. Um, and I think that is really where Hollywood has been very progressive in the fact that they've taken responsibility and pushed the boundaries of representation in a very responsible way, in my opinion. Um, I do think, unfortunately, my dad's schizophrenic and I haven't been too happy with some of the um, portrayals of schizophrenia in horror films specifically um, but a lot of representation on screen of heroes are getting way better um, and then I mean and this is neurotypical um, when dealing with bullying and harassment but you look at something like 13 reasons why which a lot of people got triggered and a lot of people were like was extremely um, 
a lot of people thought it was irresponsible, but from my perspective as well as it tackled something that really needed to be tackled. And I think Hollywood is getting in there and they're tackling the things that need to be tackled because we aren't. Schools aren't teaching about suicide risks. Schools aren't teaching about neurodivergent mindsets. And when you have a lack of education coming from the school system and when you have a lack of education in society, it is Hollywood that's stepping in and filling the gap there. And I think that points more to a societal failure than a failure on behalf of Hollywood. And Hollywood is very often impacted heavily by society. But in this, pers- in this case, I think Hollywood has done a really good job at trying to positively influence society. Um, and so even though I'm talking about the You Are Not Alone campaign and how terrified people are within Hollywood and in society in general to self-identify, I do think that Hollywood is pushing um, towards progress a lot faster than other industries. And I think they're pushing society towards being more open-minded. Um, so I don't want to come off as being in any way negative to the progress that no, we're seeing on screen. Not at all. Not and at all. I, I think for your teen audiences, that shows like Atypical is so important as well, because um, Sam is a teenager, obviously. Now he's in an affluent California neighborhood with access to a psychiatrist and all these things that not necessarily every American has or not every Canadian has, but he is an accurate um, representation of Asperger's syndrome or high-functioning autism. Um, yeah. I, if you don't mind, I just quickly want to go into how having a neurodivergent mind can actually. I do. That was, that was my next question because we're talking so much about um, Hollywood and the impact Hollywood is making, but I wanted to talk about the impact someone with a neurotypical mindset can make on Hollywood, but we will get into that after the next break. So we've, we've unpacked so many good things like, listening to you talk is just amazing and I'm really looking forward to talking a bit more but we'll take a short break and then we'll jump right back into how neurotypical mindsets can affect Hollywood. Copy that, thanks. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Hey you, yeah you, are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. 
Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back here with Brandy, Rebecca, and Joel. And we are talking all things neurodivergent. And uh, we're just about to dive into what uh, a neurodivergent mindset can bring to Hollywood. We've talked a lot about how Hollywood is adapting and how industries are adapting and, and how education and awareness is extremely important. But let's talk about what the the great things that a neurodivergent mindset can bring to industries and specifically Hollywood. Um, so when I was a kid, I was always told I couldn't become a filmmaker because I'm autistic and everybody tried to set my expectations realistically. Um, in other words, they were ignorant as crap and not capable of understanding what I could possibly do. Um, and so I know a lot of your audience is going to be, uh, teenagers, um, people who are in school, um, very likely there are going to be a lot of neurodivergent people in that audience. As we know, the autistic birth rates are growing. We know that mood disorders like bipolar and chronic depression, uh, they're not rare. Um, about 20% of the population has a neurodivergent mind of one sort of or another. And so a lot of these people, they're gonna hear their whole lives if they self-identify, but even if they don't, even if it's just their family that knows, they're gonna hear what they can't do and not what they can do. They're gonna hear the word disability again and again and again. They're gonna hear all these people putting barriers up and telling them what they are capable of and what they are not capable of. Um, and so it took me a very long time to finally get into Vancouver Film School and then to also go into the film industry. Um, and I think that unfortunately, a lot of that was societal and a lot of that was internalized and a lot of that just wasn't true. Um, I self-identify, which when I got into industry, a lot of people were like, hide who you are. Don't say that you're, that you're autistic. Do not say that you're autistic. People won't hire you because you're autistic. People will judge you and you won't find work and blah, 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 blah. Luckily, I've had nothing but amazing teams for the last four or so of the five years I've been in industry. And I constantly hear like I'm being discriminated against. I do hear this from several people who are like, oh, uh, you're not getting booked on this show because they don't want to, they don't think you're capable of doing the job because you're autistic. But the thing is, 
because I publicly self-identified, I found very accepting teams that did hire me knowing that I was autistic. And I'm like, well, I don't want to work with somebody who doesn't want to work with me because they think I can't do the job. If they don't think I can do the job, then why would I want to work with them? Um, intolerance isn't something I necessarily want to work with. Um, but what I've learned as an assistant director with autism uh, is just how autism can actually benefit different positions as well as be a strength, but as well as weakness. So I get sensory overload from flashing lights and loud noise. Um, now I am one of the lucky few who is very good at what's called stimming and I'm very good at managing my sensory overload. Um, so I can handle the lights on set. I can handle the loud noises. Not all autistic people can, um, but I'm gonna give you an example of where autism has really helped me as an assistant director. So I got brought onto a show that was known as a Tad killer. Um, Tad being training assistant director. I was just told like, Tad's just went through that show like they couldn't hold on to one for longer than a week or two. And I went on and I lasted about three months. And later on, I met up with another AD who was like, dude, you were out partying with the cast on the weekend. And I was like, yeah, I love the cast. And he's like, how, how did you like the cast? And they're like, they can't keep an AD because the ADs can't get along with the cast. The cast are just like terrible. And I was like, what? I love my cast. What's wrong with my cast? And they're like, it's the way they stick their nose up at people. It's the way they talk to you disrespectfully. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't read body language or vocal tones. It's great. Um, so in that, in that case, my cast would stick their nose up at me and I wouldn't notice. Um, and if they were talking to me in a tone, I wouldn't notice. And that, that, ignorance of that nonverbal communication got rid of a barrier between me and my cast that other ADs couldn't get over. Other ADs reacted to those little nonverbal cues and got all emotional because they have emotion-based logic. Um, whereas I didn't. And in my five, five years, four as an AD, but in my time as an assistant director, I haven't met a single actor that I didn't get along with. And several of those actors are known as like really difficult people to get along with. And I got along with them. Um, and I say that that is very likely because I'm autistic. <laughs> I hate to say it. It's very likely that I'm autistic. Uh, that's why I get along with them. There's one actor who loses it when somebody walks through um, their line of sight. Uh, as you know, some actors, they, they have to have... Their, their line of sight has to be clear because they're getting into the role. Um, and a lot of people in town are like, oh, that actor's horrible. And I'm like, well, logically, they're trying to do their job. And to me, that makes perfect logical sense. Like, but to a neurotypical or non-autistic person with an emotion-based logic system, they're gonna think, oh my gosh, how disrespectful, how rude. Whereas I'm gonna think logically. Um, and when, you have a logic-based mind, it makes it a lot easier to understand your actors because you're thinking about your actors from a logic-based perspective and you're not getting all emotional because your actor did something. And the other thing is in our industry, actors have to get very emotional to be in their roles. And unfortunately, that they can't just turn that emotion off the second they step off set. 
And so if they get really into an angry scene or something, they might lash out at the tad or at somebody off of set. And that person's going to take it really personally where it's not something you should take personally. But as an autistic person with a logic-based mind, I don't, I don't see that. And I don't react to that as much. And I think in autism is something beneficial for an assistant director to have. Um, and I want to get into other neurodivergent minds because it's not just autism. Bipolar is a huge one. I've seen a lot of PAs who are bipolar and PAing being a production assistant is actually really good for people with bipolar and with autism as well, but bipolar especially. Bipolar I've heard has a 90% unemployment rate, I think, um, with like full-time job. I think it's like 65% that have a part-time job or whatever. They, they have a very high unemployment rate similar to autism. And that's because when they spiral, um, they're often unable to do their job. And so they'll lose their jobs because they'll spiral and their medication won't keep them evened out. But the great thing about being a production assistant or in the film industry is you're a day call. So when you spiral, you just take a couple days off or however long your cycle is. And then when you're manic again, or you're evened out again, your medications work and you come back to work. And the great thing is people don't notice because the person's there one day as a PA and then they're not the next day. Nobody thinks twice because PAs are day calls. Um, I had a actor friend and she was bipolar and she had an emotional range that neurotypicals did not have. And she became a scream queen. Now I was really upset that she became a scream queen because I didn't like seeing her raped and murdered all the time, but she was able to, cry on command on command she could cry and she was able to channel and just get really terrified and really dark really fast just like that snap and that's because her spirals were so bad she had that personal experience that no neurotypical possibly could have no neuro neurotypical can understand that level of depression that is unnatural it's, it's not what a neurotypical would naturally experience. So she was able to draw on experiences, emotional experiences that no normal actor could. And so she got constantly cast as a screen queen because she was able to go dark and neurotypicals couldn't do that. Crying on command is something that a lot of actors can't do. It's really hard. They require tear sticks. They require all this assistance. You could be like cry and she'd be bawling. Um, and she was able to just turn it on. And that was because of her bipolar. And I worked with another actor who is also bipolar as well. And same deal. Now, I don't want to stereotype. No, not all bipolar people can be solid actors. Um, but bipolar gives them a range of emotional experiences that non-bipolar people don't have. Um, chronic depression... I, I haven't met an actor with chronic depression yet that I know of, but one would assume that their life experience is unique and that they would be able to add something to the creative field based on that life experience. I know that there's a lot of bipolar. Oh, no, no. I do know of some chronic depressed people who work in the film industry. They're writers. Um, they do horror films. Um, I think it's really uh, important what you're touching on in that, like, you know, the things that so many people sort of see as weaknesses can actually be strengths and we can use it to our advantage, but mm -hmm. also sort of speaks to the point that you were making earlier in that 
if people aren't self-identifying, like we should always be really considerate of of what someone else is going through. And we don't know what's going on. We don't know how their brain works or what they've been through yeah. earlier that day or any sort of trigger they're, they're sort of trying to combat. So there's some really, really awesome talking points there. Like, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, I think it's really wonderful that you're championing people out, like, because so often we, we talk down on, uh, like, different ways of thinking and all it is is different it's not negative or like anything else it's just different and that's yeah. what we do well my dream is to affect so much societal change through film through succeeding as an autistic filmmaker and through spreading awareness that that 16% employment rate in autism grows to like 40% that we see a lot more bipolar and chronically depressed people working in film, but working in general. Um, because I think the more we can tear the stigma down, the more we can tear uh, down the phobias and the fears and the more we can encourage people to succeed. I don't want kids to get the messaging I did when I was young, which is autistic people can't be filmmakers or autistic people can't do that. I've seen chronically depressed people who are poets. I've seen bipolar people who are assistant directors, who are production assistants, who are great writers. I've seen a hypomanic writer who was on a massive network show. Um, as an autistic person, there's autistic people everywhere. There's just so many people with their beautiful minds that are able to accomplish so much, especially in the creative industries, in film, as painters, as, as clothing designers, when you're talking about a creative industry, people with unique mindsets have so much to offer. And I think the more we can do to draw attention to what their brains give them that other people don't, and the more we can champion their strengths, uh, I think the more we're going to see a societal change and a shift. And the more people in our workforce who are neurodivergent, the better, because those people aren't on welfare. Those people aren't um, they're taxpayers. They become contributors to society and they get to have a life of purpose. And I think a life of purpose is just so important. Um, I think we'd lower our suicide rates. We'd lower our relationship, our divorce rates, if people had a life of purpose and if people felt loved and respected. I love that you said that. I'm, I'm literally having trouble even thanking you because everything that you've said is so important to everybody listening. And you got right to my heart with this, Joel. And I really thank you for sharing because I think if my friends or my family and any of the students that we work with or any of our actors are listening to this, I think you really inspired people and shared a, some really great things that we should all do together. So I know Rebecca and I are like, <laughs> yeah, I think that was awesome. Our whole thing with this show is to help people find purpose and um to be kind to each other and i cry a lot and not usually at the end of the show but i just wanted to thank you because this was beautiful and if you had one message that you wanted to share with the entire world if everybody had to sit down for 30 seconds and shut up and listen to one thing that you wanted to say to everyone that you wanted everyone to know what would your one thing be whether you are neurodivergent whether you are lgbtq plus uh, whether you are of any race, religion, ethnicity, no matter who you are, no matter what you are, you have something to add to the world. 
And I think the more we can do to spread awareness of what you have to contribute, the more we will see a healthy society and the more we will progress. And I really think we could end poverty. I really think we could end war. We could end all kinds of things if people just learned to accept who they are and accept others for who they are. Thank you so much for being on the show. Is there any way that people could get in touch with you if they would like to reach out? Um, you can look me up on Facebook. I'm Joel Reimer. You can email me at joelcool7 at gmail.com. Um, but I really think I want the whole You Are Not Alone movement is about empowering people to take the initiative to self-identify and forge their own way forward. And I think the fewer people who contact me and the more people who just are proud of who they are and who go out and end the stigma, the better. And so my encouragement would be not to look to me or to contact me. My encouragement would be to be the change you want to see in the world. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'll share a Kleenex with you after. Okay. (laughs) Joel, you're amazing. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on the show. Thank you, everyone. I hope you uh, got as much from this as we did, if not more. Uh, We'll see you again, same time, same place, Team Wealth Radio, live at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern here on Voice America. Thanks for being part of Teen Wealth Radio. Please join your host, Brandy England, her guests, and panel of experts again next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you here for the next show. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit